You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Don't put cash, don't put anything before Christ. You know, Jesus said in Mark's Gospel in chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, What will it profit a man if he gives the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? So gang, don't be deceived by the wicked one. Get the victory over selfishness. Consecrate everything that you have, all of your possessions to God and give to him accordingly. Do you ever look at the wealthy in this world with jealousy? It would be so nice to have that financial peace, wouldn't it? It certainly isn't desirable to struggle financially, but the truth is, even those who have an abundance generally would admit that they don't have peace. Money can't buy that. If you dedicate yourself to accruing wealth, you'll find it's a cruel master. In today's message, Pastor Mike will challenge us to lay down these desires to serve self in pursuit of God's greater purpose. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2 as he begins his message, Flat Out Rebellion. back in our Living Faithfully series, Studies in the Book of Second Peter. Uh, Peter. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, and we'll just pick up where we left off last time. We've already moved into chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. So let's go ahead and read that text, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So Second Peter, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. They, referring to uh, these false teachers, remember, they have forsaken the right way, and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. Father, we pray now that you bless our time together. God, as we treat this text of Scripture, God, as always, would ask that you'd open it up to us. God, give us understanding. Lord, I pray that we would... Uh, Receive all of the instructions that are contained uh, within it. Lord, all of, heed all of the warnings as well. Lord, use it to perfect your work in the lives of your people. God, thank you so much for providing this opportunity for us, week in and week out. And uh, what a privilege it truly is to be able to, uh, through our technology, be able to come into the homes of our uh, members of our church and, and share your precious word with them. So bless now, be honored and glorified. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so Peter begins this part of our study 
in his epistle by telling us that these false teachers who we have been talking about over the last several weeks, we were introduced to them back in uh, verse 1. In fact, let's go back there just for a moment. Notice what it says there in chapter 2 and verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies or damnable heresies, according to what translation you're reading out of, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destructive. Notice the way that Peter refers to these doctrines as destructive doctrines. They're destructive to the church, they're destructive to the people who adhere to them, and they are also, notice, uh, destructive to those who promote them. So it's a no-win situation. Now, also I want you to uh, take note of Concerning these heretics, what does Peter say there in verse 15? They have forsaken the right way. That is, they were not ignorant of the truth. And and according to this uh, text of Scripture, it seems to indicate that uh, they had at one time heard the gospel, they embraced it, believed it, but ultimately they turn away. And that's indicated by what is recorded for us in the latter part of verse 13. It says they're describing them, that they are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. So they were members of the same congregation, the same churches uh, that Peter, uh, the people that people are writing to, uh, attended. So they were uh, amongst the believers, but they weren't true believers. So what do we have here? Well, this is flat-out rebellion. They enjoyed the privileges of coming to the truth, but they had forsaken it. And what a tragedy that is. You know, this reminds me of Judas Iscariot, who could have been a mighty instrument of power and usefulness for God. You know, truly he was a privileged character. I mean, think about it. He knew the truth. He had heard it again and again from the very lips of our Lord. He walked in the Lord's presence. But like these foolish men, he also had forsaken the truth. You know, I wonder if any of those who attend our services uh, each week are exactly like uh, this. I don't know if they are or not, but, uh, you know, you got to wonder. They know the truth. They hear the truth. Week in and week out as we present our teaching a ministry at Harvest Christian Fellowship. They know how to be saved. They know what God expects of them through that teaching, but they have done nothing about it. They say they believe, but their lives doesn't prove it. So what is that? I mean, why is that uh, possible? Well, maybe their experience has only been a mental acceptance of Christ, while their sinful hearts are still controlled by the devil. What a serious and sad state to know the truth and yet to refuse to come to the truth. You know, Jesus said in John's Gospel in chapter 5 and verse 40, And you will not come to me that you might have life. You see, these individuals are their worst enemies. They are looking for all uh, of life, all of the blessings of life, in all of the wrong places. Gang, don't delay coming to Christ. Don't delay in dealing with sin. The price of continued rebellion, remember, is eternal judgment. So don't procrastinate. 
In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, in verse 1, in verse one uh, Paul there serves up a warning, and he says, We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Good advice. Now notice, not only did the false teachers know the truth and forsake the truth, but Peter goes on to note that they departed from the truth. That is, they departed from the truth for something uh, else. And what was that something else? Well, notice that's indicated there in verse 15. They had gone astray following the way of Balaam. And what was the way of Balaam? Who is Balaam? Well, Balaam is this interesting and mysterious character that we're introduced to in the book of uh, Numbers. He was, according to the chapter, a harling uh, prophet. Uh, I don't really know if you can place him in the category of a true prophet. He was more like a, a soothsayer. But he knew enough about the true God of Israel to be influenced by the Spirit. And yes, God actually did uh, speak to this individual. But what he did was, and what he was guilty of, was he commercialized his gift. He was more concerned about money than the will of God. Now there in the book of Numbers, beginning in chapter 22, uh, we are also introduced to, in our cast of characters, the king of Moab, whose name was Bela. And during this time, there in that book of Numbers, uh, Israel was marching through the land of Canaan, and God was going before them. And he was driving out all of their enemies before them, defeating all of their enemies. And so Moab was about to engage in battle against Israel. And, and they knew that they weren't going to be victorious. So anyway, this King Balak of Moab tried to hire Balaam to curse Israel so that the Moabites could defeat them in a battle. So he offered uh, Balaam, the soothsayer, money to do that. He went back to the Lord, and the Lord uh, refused uh, to allow him uh, to curse God's people because God was blessing him. So uh, Balaam's uh, response to uh, Balak's request was, you know, how can I uh, curse God's people when God has chosen to bless them? And he did this three times. And, uh, and the uh, message that had come from God remained the same. Uh, don't uh, curse them. But later on, what he did was he counseled uh, Balak, although he was um, prohibited by God to curse them, he went back to Balak for a sum of money, and he uh, counseled Balak on how uh, to bring judgment upon them by God himself. And, uh, and his counsel, by the way, is referred to in the book of Revelation, when uh, Jesus, writing the letters to the seven churches, is addressing the church at Pergamos, and in uh, chapter uh, 2, in verse 14, uh, there we have the indication of, of how Balaam was able to uh, counsel Balak on how that uh, Israel would be defeated, and uh, there in verse 14, we read, I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak the king of the Moabites, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So from what I know, from what we gather, you know, taking into consideration all of what's recorded first in the book of Numbers and here in the book of Revelation, 
This was Balaam's counsel to King Balak. Send your young women down to the tents of Israel and seduce them. And uh, ask them, the women that is, if they would like uh, to join them in the worship of their idols. And the way that they worshiped their idols was through all of these perverse sexual activities. And so anyway, these young men of Israel succumbed to that temptation. And therefore, God judged them because of their uh, fornication. And, uh, and so it brought judgment upon uh, Israel. So that's what th this doctrine of Balaam is all about. So these false teachers were guilty of the same uh, error. They were into the church for money and what they could get out of it. You know, 2 Peter in chapter 2, in verse 3, we've already gone over this. There we are told concerning these false teachers, by covetousness they make merchandise of you. Or in other words, they exploit uh, you. You see, they love money more than they love the Lord. Listen, Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. If you try, you'll only end up serving mammon, that is, riches. Money will get the better of you. You know, Paul put it this way in 1 Timothy in chapter 6 and verse 10. The love of money is the root of all uh, evil. Not that money in and of itself is evil, but the love of money. So, selling God out for so many different reasons. And, and that's the choice that many people make. As I've already mentioned, for money, uh, for success, uh, for business, for wrong relationships, whatever. And here's the warning. The end, like Judas Iscariot, who threw his 30 pieces of silver, which he had received to betray the Lord, he threw it into the sanctuary, and then he hung himself. And think about it. He lost both riches and the opportunity to have a relationship with God. So, don't put cash, don't put anything before Christ. You know, Jesus said in Mark's Gospel in chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, What will it profit a man if he gives the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? So gang, don't be deceived by the wicked one. Get the victory over selfishness. Consecrate everything that you have, all of your possessions, to God and give to Him accordingly. And aren't we instructed to do exactly that? In the book of Wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon tells us in the third chapter in verse 9, Honor the Lord with your substance and with the firstfruits of all your uh, increase. Now, if you want an incentive for this, and remember, anything that God asks of us that is recorded for us in the Word is for our blessing and for our uh, benefit. And we'll always receive a great uh, return. So if you're looking for an incentive for this exhortation, if you go on to the next verse in Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 10, there we are told, this will be the result, honoring the Lord uh, with our first fruits of all of our increase, verse 10, so shall your barns be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst with new wine. In other words, you're going to uh, flourish. You're going to prosper. Gang, listen, you can never outgive uh, God. You know, one writer said, and I think it fits perfectly here, and I quote, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. 
So a, a word to the wives. In other words, fall in love with Jesus. Realize that all that you have is a trust that comes from him to be used for his glory. You know, poor Balaam, going back to this illustration here, failed to get the victory over his selfishness. He forsook the way of God because of his love for uh, money. And listen, God tried uh, to help him out. Remember, uh, back in the book of Numbers, while he was on his way, to, he had been summoned by uh, the Moab, the Moab uh, king uh, Balak. And he's on his way, he's riding his donkey. And, uh, and on the way on the road, an angel appeared with a sword drawn. Balaam wasn't able to see him, but the donkey that he sat upon was able to and just stopped dead in his tracks. And so he began to speak to the donkey. He began to beat, to the, du- beat the donkey. In fact, the donkey actually uh, lay down. And, uh, and, and again, uh, as he's speaking to the donkey and beating him, God opens up the mouth of the donkey to speak to uh, Balaam. He caused the donkey to speak, which is indicated here in our text in verse 16. And you would think that that would have caused the most rebellious individual to come to his senses. I mean, a dumb animal is, you know, is speaking to you. He was bound by his sin. So listen, has God been speaking to you? Lovingly, patiently, seeking to direct you. You who have gone astray from the path of God's uh, best and usefulness. Won't you at this moment let him have his way with you? Move into God's will. And as you do, you will discover that joy, that blessing, that fulfillment. If you're out of God's will, listen, you're only going to be miserable and dissatisfied. Remember what Jesus said in John's Gospel in chapter 15 and verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Verses 17 through 19. Now, he's describing these false teachers. That's whom we've been talking about now over the last several uh, weeks. So he says of them, he describes them in this way. These are wells without water. Clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. That is, these false teachers. For by whom a person is overcome by him, also he is brought into bondage. A lot of this section of Peter's epistle has been devoted to exposing these certain false teachers that had infiltrated the early church. And so Peter, once again, along these same lines, shares his convictions concerning the wicked lives the vain philosophies of these false teachers. And in doing so, he provides certain descriptions of them for us. The first thing that he tells us, and this becomes our first point, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, he describes them, notice there in our text, as wells or springs without water. You see, the idea here is that a dried-up spring to a thirsty traveler, is of no value whatsoever. 
And likewise, of what value is false teaching to thirsty souls? You know, in John's Gospel, in chapter 4, in verse 14, where Jesus is found addressing the Samaritan uh, woman at Jacob's well. So in John's Gospel, in chapter 4, in verse 14, he says to this woman, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting uh, life. And listen, what a privilege to drink constantly at the fountainhead with the assurance that every spiritual need will be met. And what a difference between the teachings of Christ and what Christ has to offer in contrast to what these false teachers had to offer. Christ offers everything to meet our spiritual needs. And that's who we really are. That's the real you. That's the real me. We are a spirit. And we need to know the reasons for our existence. And God will address those uh, needs. He'll address and answer those questions for us. And, and it's through the drinking of that water where we possess our, our hope. You know, Jesus put it this way in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, in verse 6. He said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What a wonderful promise. So, therefore, if you're thirsty, we may go to Jesus and drink freely and fully. Let me give you another cross-reference for this, along these same lines from the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. In the 145th Psalm, in verse 18, there we are told, The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in uh, truth. So, let me ask you this question. Are you full? Are you satisfied? And if not, come to Jesus and drink, because only he can satisfy our innermost longings of our hearts. And therefore, discover and know the existence of our being. Discover, as many of us have, the water of life, who is Jesus himself. But these false teachers here knew nothing of the reality of satisfying water. They tried to lead others to contentment and peace. But you know what it was like? It was like the blind leading the blind. So beware. Because the satisfaction that they were offering thirsty souls was that which the devil still offers to restless, distraught humanity. That fleeting satisfaction. How? Through pleasure, lust, and uncleanness. Providing for them a license to sin. You know, let me also say, uh, and this is unfortunately prevalent within many churches today, any religious system, any church who flies the banner, the flag of Christianity, that overlooks the seriousness of sin, that doesn't preach against sin, is empty. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. This has been another edition of In My Father's House, the ministry of Harvest Christian Fellowship with Pastor Mike. Thanks for joining us. The book of 2 Peter teaches the importance of growing in your faith. When you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, it doesn't end there. Jesus transforms you beginning that first day, and He continues to do so as you allow Him access to your life. 
Each new truth you hear from God's Word has the potential to change you, but you have to decide to let it. It's our desire at In My Father's House to present Jesus to you through each program, and we pray He's already making an impact in your life. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, visit harvestnyc.org and click on the Resource tab. We invite you to visit us, too. Join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more and reserve your seat, visit harvestnyc.org. Or just join us online for worship through the live stream if you can't be with us in person. We'd be honored if you join us in any way you are able to. Be sure to sign up for our email list for daily devotionals and the latest event information at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd also ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of In My Father's House through donation. We appreciate every gift given and will use it to reach more people with the Word of God. Find out more and donate securely online by clicking the Donate tab at harvestnyc.org. Thanks for giving and for being a part of today's listening audience right here on In My Father's House. Oh, my heart not be troubled.